Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod, a special free agency edition. We're going to run through these all week long, the opening week of the Woj Pod on ESPN and the, the beginning of free agency, although it doesn't feel like the beginning anymore. It feels like we're rounding third already after 36 hours, and of course, Brian Winhurst, the great NBA writer at ESPN and the host of the very popular Hoop Collective <laughs> podcast. Would you uh, say like that? Would you agree with that, Brian? It's very in, popular. It's in the eye. It's in the eye of the beholder. I well, think, probably popular. It's popular here. Uh, Brian, how are you, man? Hey, um, you know, I'm really feeling my age here because. <laughs> yeah. I remember when <clears throat> what free and I mean I'm not talking about 2006. I'm talking about like 2012. July 1st would come. You maybe would have one or two deals. I know like Brian Colangelo, he liked to spend his his um, mid level right out of the gate. He would sometimes sign a guy right out of the gate. Um, I remember um, Al Farouk Aminu, who's now a free agent uh, or now re-signing. When he signed this contract, you know he signed this contract right out of the gate. So you'd have a couple. Right at midnight, but generally, what we used to report is, um, oh, these six teams contacted this free agent. These, you know, th- th- there mm-hmm. will be meetings scheduled. Like it was not. Maybe you started to get some commitments on July second, but it was not normal for there to be major action. And I mean, our summer league, which which used to start even later, summer league used to start, you know, around July tenth. And I remember, Woj, we would be at Summer League tracking the agents because yep. that's when the deals would get done. The, sometimes free agent players would show up to the games around their meetings. The meetings would happen out there. Um, and again, this is not like, oh, back in my day before cell phones. This was just a <laughs> couple of years ago. And to see free agency, to see $3 billion spent within 24 hours or whatever it was, um, it was yeah. unbelievable to change. Yeah, it was. I, I had a <clears throat> GM said to me, and they all sort of said varying degrees of this, but this was like, I don't know, June 24th, 25th, 26th. He says it feels like it's July 5th, meaning there were a lot of deals done already. And um, I, I I just think it it's the nature of the beast. And, you know, here's – I want to ask you about this, Brian. So people – You'll hear a lot of when these deals get reported and we know they're done ahead of time, where they say, well, this is why the NBA doesn't enforce tampering. Like They shouldn't enforce tampering. We all know what's going on here. And and I would counter with this. When the, when the season ends and a player's season is over and he gets a, either they don't make the playoffs in April or he gets eliminated May 10th, whatever it is, it is generally accepted among other general managers that, it, okay, it's open season on our player now. That the player, the season's over. He's not under contract anymore. Maybe he's going to opt out June 20th, but we know he's opting out. And we know what goes on. And we all accept that because many of us, I don't want to say everyone, but pretty close. Everyone's going to do that. And that's to compare that to. As one general manager said, there's tampering and then there's interference. Don't interfere mm. with my team. And right. that's when a guy's got a year left on his contract, two years left on his contract. And you're trying to get a guy to either force a trade. Uh, you're trying to get a guy to, um, 
whatever it is, but you you now you've got involved in somebody's team during their season with multiple years left on their deal. I don't know how you can compare that to what goes on after the season. And I think people, like if we're living in the real world, I think there's a pretty, you can call it all tampering, I get it, but there's a pretty distinct, there's a pretty clear distinction. Yeah, and there's also a difference between having conversations with a player or a player's representative about the player in December when you have your season going on and in April when your season may be over. There's just a difference. And in talking to, to GMs, now you are heavily involved at the draft combine. Um, you're doing all kinds of shows from there. You are working that like it's uh, the convention. I don't ever go to the draft combine because I'm on the playoffs, but the way the GMs and agents tell me, that's essentially when free agency opens. That's right. Um, the, the agents are all there because they've got their players there that they've, that they've signed or are trying to sign, um, that are in the draft. And when you meet, you, you know, they, they're going to, they meet and they, they talk about their potential clients that are draft picks, but they're also going to talk about their clients who are free agents naturally. And so that period between the draft combine and really the, um, you know, the start of free agency is sort of the negotiation window. And the NBA knows this. And that's why the NBA moved the, 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 uh, the start of free agency from midnight last year where it's been forever. To six o'clock because they knew it was better for everybody, including the viewers and the consumers of the league. Um, when they moved that deadline, they understood that everything was going to be set up in advance. So um, I think there's if there's a conversation to be had, it's not about tampering. It's about whether um, they should move free agency before the draft. I was texting with the GM today about it, and I'm sure you know this, uh, Woj. Um, Don't be so he sure. Was, he was telling me that two years ago, Daryl Morey and the Rockets put forth the concept of moving the yes. free agency before the draft. That's right. And um, this guy was telling me um, that there was just – there wasn't any reaction in the room. There was just silence. It sort of just didn't get voted on. It well, just was like – you know, it was a pitch and that was it. Yeah. No, it got – and I've seen the plan. It was made it – was, it was distributed among the teams. I, I want to say I might have – written about it. Maybe I, I think I wrote about it the week that they presented it at the GM meeting. In theory, it absolutely makes sense. And almost everybody would tell you it makes sense to have free agency before the draft. Here's the problem. There'd be no offseason. What you would be forfeiting is, so now the, the finals are over. Now we go into free agency, right? Um, then we go to the draft. Then we go to summer. I'm trying to remember how it laid out. But the way it was laid out was this thing keeps rolling through July and then August. And, like, selfishly, even if it, <laughs> even if it made the calendar work better for the league, what it, what it did was it eliminated much more downtime that people do have, executives, and no one's voting, no one's voting for, like, summer league in August. Like, just no one's voting for that. I thought, while I think people saw merit in the plan and having the free agency first, it is really difficult to manage the calendar where, um, like, the window of there, – there'd be very much of a window of time of, of, of people being able to get away from anything. Yeah, and the key, I think, people can talk about the NFL. The NFL is a four-month regular season and a one-month playoffs, maybe whatever, maybe five-week playoffs. Whereas the NBA has a um, 
a seven-month regular season or whatever, seven, six, seven months, six and a half months, and then an eight-week playoffs. So the eight or nine weeks, depending. And so it just, it's not really comparable. The only way I could see it working is if you had a sliding scale for free agency. What I mean by that is, you know, in baseball, free agency begins the day after the World Series op- uh, uh, ends. Now, in baseball, though, free agency lasts months. But um, it's in theory, what you would do is maybe have free agency begin within some time period at the end of the final, 72 hours, you know, whatever, a week or whatever. And then you could maybe move the draft back a week. If free agency is really going to end these days in three to five days, like it has been the last few years, you could potentially do it. But that's a pretty, what you're talking about is a pretty radical change. And not only that, the NBA is focused on other radical changes to the mm-hmm. schedule right now. That's right. Not focused on radical changes to free agency. But I would say this, my guess is, Woj, while this was intense for you especially, and um, this was the first year where I was really hearing all kinds of deals lined up days in advance. Um, I don't think the fans probably mind this. I think that they probably had a lot of excitement on a Sunday night um, <laughs> following all, all your reports and, uh, and, um, and, and, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing for the league. No. And I think what it did do, and, and I, I felt it in the conversations I was having and, and the momentum that you could feel. And it was so different than a midnight start, a midnight start, Okay, there's some deals that are done and they come out at 12.01 or 12.07, whatever it is, 12.30. And teams sort of log, okay, there's some teams who are in town. We're going to meet with our either the, the free agent we want to retain or the guy we're trying to get. We have maybe one meeting at midnight and then we come back the next day. And at 12.01, people log some calls. Hey, you know, you're our number one priority. We want to get, uh, we want to, we're making you an offer, whatever it is, even though they've already made the offer before. And then everybody kind of goes to bed and gets up and kind of reboots it in the morning. Well, what happened at 6 o'clock was stuff started happening. And deals, you know, as one agent said to me, it felt like this really fast game of musical chairs. And and what I, I sensed from both teams and players, there were a lot of scenarios more and right away where – Either teams wanted to get their player done fast or, or the agents wanted to get a slot for their players before the market dried up. And there was a lot of, hey, you have an hour. You have 20 minutes. You have 30 minutes. Or we're going to the next guy. We want an answer. And I think a lot of agents felt like the even though there was a lot of money in the marketplace, I need to get my guy a deal fast. I don't want to be the guy lingering. And it started to create just and one GM said to me, like, we felt we felt pressure to make decisions quick. I mean, look at the Utah, look at the Utah situation with Justin Zanuck and Dennis Lindsay. They were, I think, they were confident they could get Nikola Mirotic. Uh, they had, there had always been this mutual interest in them back to Chicago. You know, I think he liked the idea of playing for Quinn Snyder. He fits them. You know, probably a deal in the three years, forty-five million range. Um, and all of a sudden, like a day before free agency, he's like, I'm out of here. I'm going back to Barcelona. I want to live there. I'm going to go take a couple million a year, which, you know, you don't expect someone to do. And now they're like, oh, man, what, what, all right. Um, Boyan uh, Bogdanovich in Indiana, who the Pacers probably thought, I think the Pacers thought they were going to get a deal done in like the 52 to 55 range with him. And here comes Utah 
$73.1 million, blow him out of the water. Now all of a sudden, he's gone off the board, and Indy's like, oh, we, we, we got to do, we got to get somebody. Hey, let's go throw a big offer sheet at Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, Milwaukee can't match it. And all of a sudden, Malcolm Brogdon now, instead of 53 he benefits. Mi- Right? He benefits from Miritich going to to to, to Spain. Yeah, to Barcelona. And it happened in like, and it happened in less than twenty four hours. So, so they go from thinking, yeah, we'll spend fifty three million on Boyan to we're going to spend eighty five on Malcolm Brogdon, and Milwaukee's like, we're not matching that. Let's do a sign and trade. We'll get that thing done. And F- fascinating, uh, as, as we're talking about new school tactics, there was an old school tactic involved in that deal, um, from what I understand. Herb Simon, who is the owner of the Pacers, he um, – and this is – you know, the, the NBA is a pretty ruthless place, especially when it comes to the free agency. Well, when they decided they were going after Malcolm Brogdon, he, he placed a call to the Bucks ownership, Herb Simon, and said, hey, um, we're partners here, um, I, you know, and they're in the same division too. Um, I don't believe in having offer sheets. I, I don't believe in giving an offer sheet and, and putting my partner – in a bad position, let's work out a deal. And um, very, un- very unusual and sort of a courtesy that you don't typically see. That's very old school in this new school speed maneuver. I thought it was an interesting story. That yeah, I, I always today. say restricted free agency offer sheets. It brings out the worst in everybody. It always creates so much uh, acrimony between the team and the the team and the player, and then the team that's going to come in with a big offer sheet. You know the other team's really angry with them. They sort of take it personally and uh, put all the toxic bells and whistles yeah, in there. The, to, there yeah. yeah, remember when Daryl Morey? I think it was the Jeremy Lin offer sheet, and that was a time where you had to. Now they just do it electronically. Then you had to present the offer sheet physically. I think to somebody, and I think somebody on the Knicks kept. They, they wouldn't. <laughs> they wouldn't take it. They they were. They, then the Rockets have to chase somebody down on the Knicks either at a hotel or somewhere. Where yeah, like, it was like a processor. No one would and... sign for it. I don't know. It was, it was always that kind of, that kind of thing. Um, well, listen, it is, for a lot of guys, it is not hard to find a job in NBA free agency. There are some big salary slots. It's easy. They come get you. For everybody else, it, it's a little bit harder. And and listen, hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a conf- a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done, ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj. And, and I, you know what? The great thing for Brian, I, and you were a prodigy coming out of <laughs> high school. So many And so, so many I, I remember ago. like the Washington Post, the LA Times – Right, they all came to Kent. They all came your senior year at Kent, at Kent State. Were you Kent yeah, State yeah, or right. just Kent then? It was Kent then. It's back to Kent State now. Thank you very much for noticing the branding. You're right. No, I did notice that. Anyway, mo- but the rest of us had to just send blind resumes all over the country, <laughs> beg somebody to read our awful clips, photocopied, angry at an editor because he changed a word in your lead. Now I can't use that as a clip anymore. You jerk. <laughs> but right. Right? I mean, that's, you know, I, I, you didn't go through any of that, but I did. Uh, but ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, 
ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj, W-O-J, ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So you, you, you look at this free agency, Brian, and it like within a blink of an eye, it's largely over. Durant, Kyrie Irving come off the board. Kemba goes to Boston, and, and then the league waits on Kawhi Leonard. And, and I think this Kawhi Leonard free agency, to me, it represent, there's something bigger that this represents. And I think it might, it could possibly represent the end of the era of the super team. And, and with the super team, I mean like the three mega stars. Like Jimmy Butler chose Miami over Houston. He wanted to be the guy. That was important to him. I don't know how that's going to go at this stage of his career, but but he, that was. I don't know that Jimmy Butler and Chris Paul make constitute a super team. And Chris, a few years ago, yes, uh, obviously James is at the very top of his craft, but it would have been three stars certainly. But Kawhi Leonard, you know, I had one GM tell me who's involved in a lot of these. He's involved in the pursuit of big stars this summer that he thought. Kevin Durant leaving Golden State was kind of going to commemorate commemorate or mark the end of the super team that that it become had become a thing. It's become a thing where the third guy is diminished a little bit. He can't get uh, the, the the stardom that guys want and all the things that come with being a star in the league. That nobody wanted to be the third guy anymore. And think of how fortunate Miami was with Chris Bosh, Clay Thompson. Uh, They've been fortunate in Golden State with Clay, and, and I think Clay, Golden State was so unique because that team was they drafted that team. They drafted three All Stars, and financially, that's what allowed them to bring in Kevin Durant. Uh, they didn't have to go and bring you know sixty six percent of it in a free agency like Miami did when when they had Dwayne Wade. And so here's Kawhi Leonard looking at L A. LeBron, Anthony Davis, and and potentially Kawhi, or going to the going to the Clippers and having more of a, or staying in Toronto, but but either place having more of a, a organization that's built around him, a team that's built around him, that's been Kawhi Leonard's brand, I guess, for lack of a better word. He's the guy who beat super teams. He he, you know, he beat Miami, he beat Golden State, and if he picks either Toronto or the Clippers. We don't have a super team in this league, and I don't know where in the near future when you look around, there's one that's going to be put together. Yeah, that has been the, the thing. You know, the Heat and, and LeBron specifically, they ushered in this era of superstar uh, movement. And it's been a decade now of incredible superstar movement, and def- generally it's been clustering. Um, this is This is truly maybe the most remarkable free agency period we've ever seen. 
because we've seen Kevin Durant walk away from a team that had a chance to be one of the greatest teams of all time. Um, I was with Scottie Pippen tonight um, for a jump uh, free agency special, and Scotty was very anxious to um, to say, let's stop talking about uh, th- this being a dynasty and comparing them to one of the great dynasties of all time in the Bulls. He, he's, he wants to end that conversation right now. Um, uh, we, you know, no bias there whatsoever. <laughs> but but for, for Kevin to walk away from that, um, you know, that's not something we, we thought we'd see. Um, LeBron did it a little bit, but um, that team was not quite in the same position. That team was a little bit exhausted, and Dwayne Wade was dealing with some pretty significant injury issues at the time. Um, and there was, you know, he went to another super team in Cleveland that was formed. But you're right. Um, being on the front line of of watching what happened, what what Chris Bosh went through, being on the front line of what Kevin Love went through, um, when you're three guys, there's a, a tax to be paid. And um, Well, they know, got all the blame, uh, right? Let's be like Chris Bosh oh, yeah. and Kevin Love got beat up when when the team didn't win, it was their fault. When they won, well, it was LeBron or 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 whoever, whether it was Kyrie as a second star or Dwayne Wade. And now I don't think that's the case in L.A. Well, that wouldn't be the case with the Lakers because of like those are three those are three MVPs. I mean, they're all they're all Amazing. MVP caliber players. I know. Yeah, so it might be the best super team we've ever seen, or it might be the end of that triumvirate for a while. And Kawhi holds it in his hand, really. And uh, I, I got to believe that you know uh, this is probably a pretty difficult decision for him um, because there's pros and cons to all to all of them. Um, but if he does select the Clippers, it's really um, it's really him selecting an organization as opposed to selecting star teammates, and that's just not something that we've seen. And um, it would be a significant change. Uh, you know the the team. You know it was really an organizational title in uh, with Toronto, with of course Kawhi as the centerpiece of it. But it was an organizational title, and essentially what he would be doing if he picked the Clippers would be wagering that he could win another organizational title. Um, going with the Lakers would be the super team route of title, and it's a it's a it's a it's a big moment in uh, in in NBA history to be honest with you because. Um, it's it's a referendum on on where we are, and it's interesting that Kawhi is the guy who's going to decide it because he is one of the most unique stars we've ever seen in the league with the way he, he goes about his business. You know, I, it's interesting. I had a couple agents recently talking about what the next collective bargaining talks will look like when players have players have shown that they're not going to pursue. In many cases, guys have taken less money to leave. That They created a system where you were rewarded for re-signing with your team and dramatically rewarded with much more money. And I do remember guys at the time in the last CBA going, we didn't go far enough that, that the small market, mid-market teams, this is not going to keep guys here. We need to make it so much more difficult. Well, not necessarily difficult, but financially punitive, I guess is the way to say it for a guy to go somewhere else where he's just going to have to, he could just make so much more money where he is. And th- that's the only way we're going to get some competitive balance in the league. But a couple agents kind of wondering, because we have seen guys take less over and over and over, if the owners don't come in next time and say, okay, like we're going to, you know, these opportunities here for you, um, 
where we can we can cut costs, we can we can limit salaries. Um, you know, we are not going to. You guys have shown that you're not trying to maximize your earnings in a lot of places, and we're going to come in and take advantage of that. That the union, I understand why players do it. They want to win. They want to be a part of something, and um, but. The Supermax has not had nearly the impact on the league that I think we all thought it might. Like Paul George didn't care about the $200 million in Indiana. Um, Anthony Davis didn't care about it. Kawhi Leonard didn't care about it in San Antonio, New Orleans. Um, they, they walked away from it. There, there's certainly other examples of it. Uh, it. It just hasn't played out the way I think owners thought it would. Yeah, our colleague Tim Bontemps did a big piece on this at the end of the regular season, he actually talked to Paul George about it. And one of the things that Paul said was, um, you know, you, you can't just completely buy someone's freedom. You can't just um, give them, you know, I think the, the colloquialism he used, you can't just give them the bag and assume that they're going to do what you want them to do, mm-hmm. which is what the owners, I yep. think, did. I mean, what the owners would love to have is what they have in the NFL, which is a franchise tag. And the Supermax was an effort to create a de facto franchise tag, which is a bunch of money. And you look at a guy like Kawhi, again, he's sort of potentially bucking all the rules. When he elected to leave the Spurs, he he basically gave away the Supermax contract extension that he could have had there, which would have been a two hundred million dollar extension. Um you know, he, he in you know, you can't get that if you leave your team and he he left that behind. He left behind um tens of millions of dollars that he couldn't get and and now he's potentially leaving Toronto, where he could leave a fifth year and tens of millions of dollars more behind. Um, and you know maybe he'll stay in Toronto and sign it. But if he walks away, which there's a good chance of him happening, um, this would have been in back-to-back summers him tur- turning down tens of millions of dollars. And um, you know this is not a guy who has a two hundred million dollar shoe deal. You know Kevin Durant turning down fifty-seven million extra. Uh, by going to Brooklyn, it's a little bit framed differently because of the size of his shoe deal. But Kawhi is not that guy, so it is uh, it is remarkable how ineffective it's been in certain cases, and how some of the supermax deals that have handed out potentially are worrisome. Specifically, uh, John Wall, and uh, you know, just yesterday we had Damian Lillard accept a supermax. Damian Lillard is now signed through twenty twenty five. And that last year of his contract is fifty-four million, I believe. Bobby Marks um, computed it out at. Uh, you know, Damian Lillard, six years older, fifty-four million. I, I don't know how good of a contract that's going to be by then. Today, you're begging for him to sign. He's absolutely at the top of his game, and all NBA player um, carries your franchise. But um, you know, maybe that's not going to look so good. But so it's 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 challenging to get this right, especially since the players, and rightly so, don't want any of their free agency freedoms limited. Uh, I could never see the players agreeing to a franchise tag. And they've been trying to figure out ways to to keep players put, and none of them are really working. Right, and I think, because listen, I think for ownership, I think, listen, they want players spread out around the league. It's In the end, and Adam Silver will say this, this is a league of small markets, small and mid-markets. That's what most of them are. And so, uh, but player movement is good for the NBA. I mean, it just is. It, it creates, It. I think it pulls in 
the casual fan. I mean, you know, Brian, there's there's more interest in it's become like college recruiting, right? People are more interested in the recruiting class than they are who we might get than like the team we have on the field, and that's what free agency has become, even when a lot of it's far fetched and almost none of it's ever gonna happen. Um, I mean, poor New York fans year after year have this belief this is this is it. We have the regime that's here that's gonna deliver a big star and it, it hasn't it hasn't happened. And so uh you know, it'll be um in the end it's it's been good for the league, uh, but at the same time like you start to look around at rosters right now, and it's, you know, you're seeing lots of, you know, there's certainly a lot of two star markets, and and you know, and the places where there's one where they're trying to get the second one, but but like like we get back to what you're saying, Kawhi, you know, Kawhi, if Kawhi doesn't pick the Lakers, you know, for the first time since when we don't have that traditional uh, super team and. And, and maybe for now that era that era is over. Yeah, it could be a transitional season for the NBA because this last year there was so much focus on this moment on free agency with all these big time stars. It was a little bit dampened by the injuries, but this year coming up, there's not going to be a lot of free agency action. The 2020 class is not that exciting, especially if its assumption is made that Anthony Davis is going to re-sign in uh, in L.A. and if Kawhi takes a multi-year deal and doesn't stay in Toronto on a short deal. Um, and meanwhile, there's been some some spreading out of talent, as you mentioned, especially if, again, if Kawhi doesn't go to the Lakers and goes to the to the Clippers or stays in Toronto. It, 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 we potentially could have a season coming up here where we have no idea who's going to be in the final four, much less who's going to be in the finals, maybe not even who's in the final eight, quite frankly. And as the season goes along, now there's naturally going to be transactions you know there's going to be trades you will still be very busy um but i don't think we're going to have the breathless free agent stories i think hopefully maybe more basketball stories um at least in this season coming up i could be wrong but it could be a little bit of a peeling back of it and you know i was at the all-star weekend i was talking with one of the like vice presidents of one of the nba's biggest sponsors you see their ads on every single game you, you uh, watch in the NBA. And he was saying that while this is great for the league, the intrigue in the transactions, and you know, right now there's a lot of focus on the league. The league has completely got the uh, audience of the American sports fan captured. That it's not so good for it to be a nine-month discussion. It's great when it's mm-hmm. a two- or three-month discussion that from an advertiser, from a sponsor standpoint, they don't they're not in love with that. And so we'll see. Um, it's never been the, – the hot stove has never been hotter than it's been. Maybe it can never slow down now. But the league is actually, I think, from a competitive balance standpoint, in a better place today after the moves the last couple of days than it has been in some time. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get out of here in, in a moment. But that, you, you said that about the moves you've seen. Um, let's You go back to the deals at the draft, free, you know, draft, free agency, and then some trades and – uh, I mean, to me, a couple teams in the West, right? Utah and Portland. Um, Portland picking up Hassan Whiteside is interesting because they don't know, A, when Nurkic comes back, and then what is he going to be? That was a, That's a significant injury he suffered. And then they get they get Whiteside on an expiring contract. And uh, a couple of their young guys are excited about uh, uh, Simons, the young wing player that they – 
essentially was a high school player, went to post-grad and was a rookie last year, Anthony Simons. He's going to play this year for them, and uh, they get back, obviously, uh, you know, their Western Conference Finals team. That was a pretty damn surprising trade to me today, by the way, it, that it, – the 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 white side. I, I know that he has a relationship with Dame, but I that that very rarely do you report something that hasn't at least internally we have some feel on. Well, that um, deal, that trade nearly happened maybe about ten days ago, and and it didn't quite happen. It, it, it happened because Miami became a little more. They needed to get money off to do this Jimmy Butler trade, and so uh, you know Harkless ends up in it, and he goes to. Harkless goes on to the Clippers. One thought on that, too, the Clippers, what they did, Clippers now have Miami's 2021 and 2023 first-round picks, and that 2021 is the unprotected that you know people think could be pretty valuable because Miami might really stink by that. Uh, so there's that, and, and they pick in, they bring in Harkless, who still keeps them with enough cap space to go sign Kawhi Leonard, but they get another wing player who's been in the playoffs, experience there, who can who can um, you know it, it, probably not a starting level player for them. They hope if they get Kawhi, it was a and get, spectacular trade. Yeah, and it's such an example of the difference between the Clippers and the Lakers. The Clippers have all these young players and all of these assets. They basically have dozen different levers that they can pull to improve that team. The Lakers have the two stars and have nothing. They have they, they don't control their, their picks going forward because of uh, they're encumbered with a Stepien rule. And they don't have any players to trade right now. I mean, they could trade Kyle Kuzma, I, you know, but they don't like to say, oh, you know, if there was all of a sudden a star available on the market, they couldn't gather up some young players and trade it. It is two completely – opposite scenarios in the exact same building that represent two completely different avenues and philosophies of team building and priority making. And and, and, and the Lakers still might get yeah. Kawhi and, yeah. and, and and it won't matter it won't matter how well the Clippers have run. But that was operation. a great trade today. Yet another good yet another small, shrewd, smart move by the Clippers. They've been doing it for two years now. Every almost all these moves that they've made, they get a get a good draft pick and a good player. Um, yeah, and I do think that's the one thing. And people keep saying, I, I know, I know this question's been asked of you like fifty times on TV in the last few weeks. Last week, which LA team is more desperate? Which one can't survive failing to get the player? And I think both. Listen, the Clipper, the Lakers could still go back. You know, they could do some one-year deals, go back into free agency. Although there's, it's not nearly the class next year. And the Clippers have so many picks. And Shea Gilgis Alexander has shown himself; he's going to be a good player. They've got younger players. They could do a more traditional rebuild there, draft well. Uh, I mean, they won 48 games last year with that roster, but that's not what this summer was supposed to be about. Like, they were uniquely positioned in every way to be able to get Kawhi Leonard. And if they don't get him, it's a massive, massive disappointment. And, and there's no other way they could accelerate contention there than, than to get him. So certainly the pressure's on there. Uh, we will, uh, We'll be talking plenty more about it, reporting on it here the rest of the week, Brian. Uh, appreciate you jumping on, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see how this plays out this week. So happy to have your podcast in the. I mean, you were you were in the family already, but now that you're yeah, in it, the you're actually in the house. The podcast now. was a little bit of a 
weird step cousin to ESPN. I didn't quite know, <laughs> didn't quite know what to do with it. I'd get someone to say something on it, but it wasn't really an ESPN pod. Um, but it's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome to be here. Have it on the app. Yeah. Appreciate you jumping on, Brian, and we'll, thank you. We'll, we'll catch Keep up, up this week. Work.